you were here for the earlier services, this man does not need an introduction, but there are some of you who are not here this morning and be here this evening, and we're, we're grateful to have you come and be with us. Brother Tom Childers will be bringing us the message of the hour, and Tom has shown this morning that he can effectively deliver the gospel to us, and we're looking forward to another good sermon from him this evening. And I give the time over now to Brother Tom Childers. One of the things that I remember about Olive Branch is that you were not really any different than brethren anywhere else in that you could keep the preacher humble, and that is probably a good thing. When we were building this building, we picked out a new sign, and I remember the elders telling me, now this is going to be a real special sign. Uh, instead of putting the letters on the outside, we're going to paint them on the inside. And I thought, well, that's, that's pretty neat. That keeps it from weathering so much. And I said, yeah, it'll last a long time. The name of the church, uh, scheduled services painted on the inside. But now your name is going to be painted on the outside. And uh, I kind of got the hint. Thank you very much for allowing Carol and myself and our grandson and his wife were here this morning. Thank you very much for the meals that you prepared. Thank you very much for reminding me of some of the things that I had forgotten. And it's been a great day for us. As I think about these years and all the things that happened after that, I have concluded a long time ago, and I'm reminded once again today, in spite of all of our difficulties and all of our aches and cares, heartaches and pain, we all today can say the Lord has been good to us. And we're grateful for everything that he's done, and we certainly will have you in our thoughts and prayers. I guess the only regret that I have about our time at Olive Branch, whenever we left, we just kind of left and we didn't stay in contact that much. And I was telling Raymond uh, Montgomery a while ago, if I had to do over again, I wouldn't do that. I would uh, do it a little different. I've always thought that when I left, I need to turn the work over to the next preacher, not interfere with his. But I guess I probably, in some cases, carried that to extreme. And so, I'm planning on changing that. I'm going to repent of doing that, and hopefully we'll stay more in contact uh, than we have in times past. But we're glad that things are going well with you, and we pray that they will continue to do so. We have been emphasizing the matter of the restoration, the seed principle. And before we discuss further about that, let me tell you just a little bit about uh, what we accomplished, what we did after we left here. We went to Alamo, Tennessee and stayed there about five years. We went to Columbus, Georgia and stayed there for two or three years. And then for nine years, I was privileged to preach for my home congregation in Ripley, Mississippi. And then from there, I went to Fried Hardeman and I worked at Fried Hardeman for five years and that was really a great blessing. I was still preaching somewhere every Sunday and teaching class every Wednesday night, but it was at a different place, and I, I enjoyed that uh, work. Then we preached for about three or four years, uh, driving back and forth to, uh, from Henderson to Dresden, uh, Tennessee, and we enjoyed that work. The brethren were so good to us. 
And then uh, we went to New Hope, uh, one of the oldest congregations in West Tennessee. And uh, we enjoyed that work very much. We stayed there five years. And then uh, after that, uh, we went to Finger, Tennessee. Some of you from uh, Finger might want to say Finger. That's the way some of them say it. But uh, when I'm uh, in Finger, I say Finger. And when I'm away, I say Finger. So, uh, but uh, I serve as an elder there. And I'm preaching about four, four or five times a week. We're enjoying very much working with college students. We have about 40 college students. We have a Bible major that is uh, uh, working with us and we're kind of serving as a mentor to him. And it's uh, very encouraging to see uh, the direction that many of our young people are going in. And uh, we have some very talented young people and, and we're, we're proud of that. Carol is still working, she's talking. She's been talking about this forever, but she's talking about retiring this year and so we'll wait and see how that works, but she's working at Fried Hardeman. She's at the Welcome Center, so if you call, you probably will hear from her first of all. So uh, we're grateful that we can uh, look back on the many years and, and think about all the ways that the Lord has been good to us. I'm a little fascinated by seeds. I, my mother taught me to plant a garden, or I helped her, or I did whatever she said. I don't know that I learned a whole lot, but I I grew up with gardens, and uh, I still have one, and I'm going to try to have one as long as I live. It's uh, not a very big one, and sometimes it's challenging, but uh, I still love the idea of getting out and working, and I'm fascinated with seeds. And one of the things that I've started doing lately is collecting heirloom seeds. You know, folks are messing with our seeds, and they're changing them genetically, and they're doing all sorts of things. And one of the things I think most people agree on is that the heirloom seeds, that is the ones that have not been changed, been passed down from one planting to the next, uh, they resist uh, all sorts of things a lot better than the ones that have been tampered with. That at least is the opinion of some people. So I bought some heirloom seed, I bought a hundred seed. I've never thought about buying and paying for each seed, but I bought, a, I think, a hundred seed and they were $7, and so that's seven cents a piece if my math is correct. And I thought, instead of eating these things, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna plant them and save the seed. So now I've got about $100 worth of seed, if you were going to look at it from that standpoint. And I'm gonna save my seed. You know, farmers and gardeners used to do that. They'd save their seed. They wouldn't go out and buy it. They'd save it from time to time. Well, I think one of the lessons there is that in this particular process, uh, we need to understand that what God has done, he said something about this matter of seeds. Uh, for instance, in the very first of the Bible, Genesis 1 and verse 11, God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. So what we have is the planting of the seed. But in the passage of scripture a few moments ago, what we see is that there is a spiritual application to this matter of seed. For instance, we read in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So 
Even Jesus talked a great deal about the matter of seed. This morning in our scripture reading, it was the parable that Jesus gave of sowing seed. And there were four kinds of soil. And what came out, the end result was dependent on the kind of soil that the seed. It was the same seed, but four different results depending on the condition of the soil. In Matthew 13 and 19, Jesus says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not. And here Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower. He's not talking about just sowing seed like you plant a garden. He's talking about the teaching and the preaching of the gospel. And he compares that to seed. Just like you put seed, you could have seed in a container and let it sit there. I usually put mine in the freezer. You could have it sitting there and nothing happens. But the moment you take it out and put it in some dirt and it has moisture, then it comes alive. It sprouts and it begins to produce. Jesus says that the word of God, the Bible, is like that seed. And so it's important for us to look at our own hearts and examine our own hearts because unless we have good and honest hearts, then that seed is not going to accomplish what God wanted it to be. So he says that anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then it becometh like the, then cometh the wicked one and, and catcheth or snatcheth away that was, which was sown in his heart. And then in Luke 8 and verse 11, Jesus made this statement. He said, in regard to the parable, the seed is the word of God. So that's the reason we're talking about the seed principle. And in order to understand the restoration movement, it is important for us to have this concept of seed. Because unless we understand that, we're going to have some problems understanding what is going on. And so we want to spend the rest of the time talking about this matter of seed as we can read about it, how this principle works starting out in the Old Testament, and then I'll end with some examples that I have read and known about where it actually takes place. When you restore something, you put it back to the original condition. Now, there are some people that say they restore automobiles, but they actually modify them because they use a different motor, they use a different color of paint, they do all sorts of things like that. When I was living here, one of the tasks that I had to get out of my system was restoring a 1962 Ford Falcon. Carol and I were married. When we got married, that was the car that I was driving, a red and white Ford Falcon. Yes, it had fender skirts on it. But when I restored, matter of fact, I had gone to a funeral uh, out here, out, well, I forgot the name of it, but out west of here. And coming back, I spotted this Ford Falcon. It had a red body. It had a green trunk. And it was leaning this way. And I just stopped the person. I said, you want to sell that car? And I think I gave two or $300 for it. I bought it right then. I don't, don't remember how they got home, but I bought it from them. And when I got it home, there was a bed of ants in the back seat of that thing. So it had been sitting out in the field for a long time. But I made sure that I had the same color paint of what it came out. Whatever it came out with, that's what I wanted to do. I did not want to change anything whatsoever. And so when you restore something like that, that means you put it back the way it's supposed to be and the way it was at the very beginning. Well, in the Old Testament, we read about a king who restores the Old Testament system. His father was 
bowing down to idol worshipers. His father never read the Old Testament, what was written of it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He didn't read any of it. He didn't know anything that he said. He'd never heard anything that he'd written. His grandfather is the same way. But then what we find out is in 2 Kings 22 and 23, if you want to go there, we'll not read all the verses, but if you want to go there and browse through it, you read about a king who actually is a teenager. And as a teenager, he becomes king. And one of the things that happens is that somebody reads to him. They, they're going through the temple or through the tabernacle. No, it'll be the temple at this stage. They're going through it and somebody finds this old book. And what is this old book? Something nobody's ever seen before or hadn't seen in a long time. And it turns out it's the law of Moses. It's those five books. And so they start reading them and then they say, well, we better show this to the new king. And so they, in 2 Kings 22 and verse 11, it came to pass when the king heard the words of the book. Notice, he heard words. That's the seed. He heard the words of the book, of the law, and he tore his clothes. And you know, the first thing that he did, he said, we're going to have to give up our idols. So he tore down all the idol groves. He put an outlaw against anybody worshiping idol. There was not to be an idol anywhere. And they began reading the Old Testament scriptures. They read the law of Moses, and then they said, we have never observed the Sabbath day. We're going to keep the Sabbath day. And so everything that was written in the law of Moses, this king put in place and said, that is what we're going to do. When they read to him, they read to him the words of the book of the covenant, 2 Kings 23 and verse 2. And then in 2 Kings 23 and verse 21, the king commanded all the people saying, Keep the Passover unto the Lord your God as it is written in this covenant. So whatever they read in the book, it didn't matter what they wanted to do or what they had been doing. What they did is whatever they read in the book, that's now what they're going to start doing. Whatever that book said, that's you know, the King Josiah, he said, that's what we're going to do. And so here is an example of a person that restored. He restored the law of Moses, the worship and the sacrifices, the things that they had neglected for generations. He now puts that back in place. Notice he did not start a new religion. He went back to the law of Moses and said, whatever the law of Moses says, that's what we're going to do. Notice, if you will, that he did not start any kind of organization. He didn't do anything but just quit doing wrong things and start doing the right things based on what the Bible had to say. So he restores that law of Moses. It put, he puts it back in the place that where it should have been. And so we have in the Old Testament example of someone who follows that principle of restoration. Let me uh, point out to you, sometimes, uh, especially you older folks, you probably have been called or remember the term Campbellite. And it used to be that people, when they referred to us, Instead of saying, well, those people are Christians, they would say, well, they're just a bunch of Campbellites. And the idea was that Alexander Campbell started the Church of Christ. I remember whenever I was preaching at Vernon just before I moved here, 
I had a daily radio program, and uh, there was a man every Saturday that his goal was to run down the Church of Christ. One of the statements I remember him making was, well, if baptism has to do anything with, uh, if water has anything to do with uh, uh, salvation, he said, there will be toad frogs and there will be tadpoles in heaven. And he said, well, Alexander Campbell started the Church of Christ. And so there are a lot of people, you look it up in a dictionary, a lot of times you'll see people make the statement, well, the, the Church of Christ was started by Alexander Campbell. Well, there is a tombstone in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. And here is what it says. See if we can get it on the screen. I'm way behind up there. Yeah, keep moving it till you see. Oh, I wish I could preach that fast and y'all could keep up with me. We'd be out in just a few. There it is. Well, we're right there. That's it. I think you can probably see it. It's been chalked. It says, William Rogers, born in Campbell County, Virginia, July the 7th, 1784, removed with his father to Cane Ridge, Bourbon County, April 1793, united with the Church of Christ at Cane Ridge in 1807. Remember that date, 1807. He died February 15th, 1862, in the 78th year of his age. Guess where Alexander Campbell was in 1807? He wasn't in the United States. He had not even been baptized for the mission of sins. Alexander Campbell was sprinkled as a Presbyterian. He was a Presbyterian preacher, and he was still in Scotland. He didn't come to the United States until 1809. People talk about the Stone and Campbell movement. There are movements all over this country, not only in the United States, but all over the world. And that movement basically says, just like what Josiah did, we're going to not follow the creeds anymore. We're not going to follow our feelings. We're not going to follow just because our parents said this but we're going to pick up our Bibles and we're going to read this Bible and we're going to follow this Bible to the best of our ability. And so here you have people in Cane Ridge and that's what they do. You have them in Georgia doing the same thing. The old Philadelphia church in McMinnville, Tennessee, close to there, uh, same thing. People never heard of Alexander Campbell, but what do they do? They pick up the Bible. So how is it that you have one person over here in one part of the country that's preaching and saying the same thing that somebody over here, but those two parties have never heard one another? It's the same way that you can take pea seed, black-eyed pea seed, and put it in the ground in Mississippi. You take the same seed and you put it in the ground in Tennessee. What are you going to have when the plant comes up? If it matures, what are you going to have? You're going to have black-eyed peas. Why? Because God said at the very beginning, the first chapter in the Bible, that seed is going to reproduce after its kind. So if you take the Word of God, simple and pure, and you don't change it, you don't add to it, you don't do anything but read and believe and follow and obey it, what you will have is a New Testament Christian. Not nine times out of ten, but every time. Every single time. 
And so that's basically what we're talking about when we talk about the restoration movement. We're talking about the attitude that says, I'm not going to follow the creeds and doctrine of men. I'm not going to follow anything except what it is taught in the Bible. I'm going to take that. Whatever they call people in the Bible, that's what I want to do. Whatever these people did on the first day of the week, that's what I want to do. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. One other example let me give you, and this is, uh, you probably can't read it very well, but his name is Houston, or rather Hudson, I'm sorry, Hudson, and his name was C.N. Hudson. And uh, he is buried, I think, in Henderson County. He's buried close to Linville, Tennessee. That may, that's probably Perry County. And uh, this man was a farmer. But one of the things that he did when he farmed, he took his Bible with him. And that was the custom of most people in that day. Their Bibles were their constant companions. So whenever they would go and hook up their team to go to the field to plow, one of the things they took with them was a Bible. And they would plow those mules or those horses, probably mules for 30 minutes or so, and then they would stop and they would get their Bible out and they would read for 15 or 20 minutes. After the horses cooled down, they would, they would go through the same process. They would do that for hours at a time. And so people, even farmers, they knew their Bibles. So one day, Mr. Hudson goes to this denominational church and he hears the preacher preach. And after the sermon, Mr. Hudson said, Preacher, I don't read what you, I don't read in my Bible what you preach this morning. And he said, well, what do you read in your Bible? He said, I read that a person has to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he must repent of his sins, he must confess Jesus to be the Son of God, and he must be baptized in water for the forgiveness of his sins. And when he does that, the Lord will add him to his church. And the preacher said, you sound like a Campbellite. And Mr. Hudson said, what's a Campbellite? He said, well, there's a group of them right down the road. They meet every Sunday. So next Sunday, guess where Mr. Hudson is? He goes down and hears them preach. And his conclusion was, what I read in my Bible, that's what I heard that man say. See, he wasn't converted by that preacher because he hadn't heard any. He already believed. He already had faith. He was already willing to obey the gospel before he even heard this preacher. This preacher didn't convert him. He was not a converter of him. He recognized that what he read in the Bible is what that preacher was preaching. Now, the rest of this story is that this brother Hudson, after he becomes a Christian, also becomes a gospel preacher, one of the most highly respected preachers in Perry County. And he has a daughter. And his daughter is married, was married, to J.A. Thorne, Gene Thorne, who I sure have preached in gospel meetings here. He has all over Mississippi and Tennessee. And then Brother Thornton has a daughter, and his daughter 
is married to a gospel preacher. Now that preacher has a grandchild, and that grandchild is named Hudson. So when you look at this, you look at four or five generations. One man simply taking his Bible and reading it while his mules or horses are cooling, he comes to the truth. And when he hears that truth preached, he believes it, he accepts it, and he lives by it, and he preaches it. He teaches it to his children, he teaches it to his grandchildren, and now you have generation after generation of people that want to be just Christians, nothing more, nothing less. And so what is the seed principle? It's the principle that just like seed, you put in the ground, whatever kind of seed you put in the ground, that's the kind of seed that's going to come out. And that's what we mean by the restoration movement. How is it possible that somebody across the country or across the sea can believe and the practice the same thing that people over here can do? The only way you can account for that is they're reading and believing the same gospel. They're not adding to it and they're not taking away from it. And whenever you follow just this Bible, when you follow this Bible, everybody, if everybody in this room, everybody at Olive Branch were to follow this Bible, everybody would be Christians and nothing else. We would be all united. There would not be any division. And so this plea also makes it possible for us to be united in Christ rather than spread here and there and everywhere else. United in Christ, united on this book. So that is our beautiful plea. Unity based on faith in Jesus Christ, based on what this book says. So this evening, this afternoon, if you're not a Christian, we want to ask you to do exactly what this man in Perry County did. Just read your Bible and believe and accept what it says. We don't want to ask you to do any more. We don't want to do you to do any less. We want to be the kind of people that follow the Bible and do what the Bible says without adding to or without taking away from. That is our plea. And that is what makes us different from everybody around about us. Everybody around about us says, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Everybody around us may say, well, it just does, you just do whatever you want to do. But we ought to be people that are different because this book is our guide. This is the book that shows us how to get to heaven. And this is the book that shows us how to take our friends and our loved ones with us. And that is our plea. The beautiful plea, the seed principle, the principle of speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, we want to give you this opportunity. If you need the prayers of the church, we're here to, to pray with you, whatever your needs, whatever they are, if you will let us uh, know, please do so now as we stand and sing.